Well, it's going to sound strange to say to you, but I truly believe that this new series that we're starting today on friendship is probably going to be the most important sermon series you're ever going to hear in your life. You're going, on friendship? Yes, on friendship, because here's the reason why. If you get your friends right in life, more than likely you'll get your life right as well. In fact, here's our big series thought. This is the thing that the whole series is based around. If you're taking notes here this morning, you can put this down. You show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Again, you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. If you can get this friends thing right, more than likely, life is going to turn out right as well. Now, thousands of years before I said this to you, King Solomon, who was the wisest man who ever lived, basically said the exact same thing. Proverbs 13, verse 20, he says, The one who associates with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools does what? Suffers harm. If you walk with the wise, you're going to grow wise, but if you're hanging out with a bunch of fools, then you're going to suffer harm. Does that make sense? I mean, if you're hanging out with people that are wiser than you, smarter than you, have better marriages than you do, have uh, better financial skills than you do, guess what? You're going to rise up to their level. But if you're hanging out with a bunch of idiots, people that just want to party and they just want to drink, they're constantly getting themselves into trouble, guess what's going to happen? You're going to sink down to their level. So Solomon says, look, hang out with the wise, you're going to grow wise. Hang out with fools, you're going to become a fool. Again, show me your friends. And I'll show you your future. So that's what I want to talk about here for the next couple of weeks. So right now what I want you to do is pull out your outline. Everybody pull out your outline. Get a pen ready here. And what I want you to do, don't do it quite yet, but listen to the instructions. I want you in the space provided there to list your six closest friends. Now here's the rules. Can't be your spouse. Can't be your family members. You're stuck with them. All right. They may be your friends, but you're stuck with them. You can't do anything. These are people that you've chosen to have in your life as friends. These are the people that you call at 2 a.m. in the morning because, you know, there's an emergency and you're like, this is the person I need to call. These are the people that, you know, if you need to share something that's going on in your life, this is the person you immediately think of. If you've got, you know, uh, something that, that you need to have help with, these are the people that you call. Who are you open with? Who are you transparent with? Who are you completely honest with? Real quickly, jot the six names down. Quickly, quickly, quickly. Six names. Who are they? Again, not family members, not uh, uh, your spouse. Just quick. Who are your friends? Six people. All right, as you're wrapping that up, let me share with you something that sociologists have talked about for years. It's simply that we become basically the average of our five closest friends. And I've actually talked about this before when we've done financial series, that if you take the income level of your five closest friends, you know, you take this person makes this much amount a year, and this person makes this much a year, and this person makes this much a year, you add it all up and you divide by five so you get an average your income is probably within $1,000 to $2,000 of what that average ends up being. You become the average of their income. Well, this happens in all areas of life. You want to 
know what the status of your marriage is going to be like, then you look at the five closest friends you have. What is their marriage like? If they're all into, well, just dump the bum and get a divorce, then guess what? If, if that's been their philosophy, then more than likely you're headed for a divorce eventually. If they're good at handling money, then you're going to probably be good at handling money. If your friends have a lot of high leadership skills, then guess what? You probably will have high leadership skills. You become who you hang out with. Here's something you need to understand. If you're pursuing God with all of your heart, more than likely that's because you've surrounded yourself with people who are pursuing God with all their hearts. Again, you become who you hang out with. So I want you to look at your list again, and I want you to ask yourself, is it okay that I'm becoming these people? Again, you will become a a hybrid of these five or six people that you're closest to in life. Is it okay that you're going to become like them? And maybe you're having a hard time thinking of it as like this whole global thing of like melding them all together. So think about their marriages. Think about each one of their marriages. Is it okay that your marriage is going to become like their marriage? Is it okay that your finances are going to be like their finances? Is it okay that your kids are going to grow up to become like their kids? Look at that list. Is that who you want to become or not? See, if you want to have a better marriage, then guess what? Hang out with people who have a good marriage. If you want your finances to go to a new level, then hang out with people that know how to make money and how to handle money. If you're trying to lose a little bit of weight, it's probably not best to be hanging out with people that are trying to petition the government to make Twinkies the sixth major food group. You become like the people that you hang out with. So again, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. What is a friend? Well, Proverbs 17:17 and the FBV says it this way. A friend is someone that you may or may not know well who accepts your friend request on Facebook. This person is born to like and comment on your posts and to make you feel good about yourself. She's saying the, the, the FBV? Yeah, she's Carolyn's going, what, the FBV? What? That, that's, that's in the Bible? No, it's not in the Bible. I made it up. <laughs> That's the Facebook version. That's what Facebook's trying to do. Of course you were really confused. (laughs) So here's the deal, though. Even though that's made up, isn't it true that Facebook has influenced what we think about friends? Hasn't it helped to redefine the word friend in our society? It has. So for real, what does Proverbs 17.17 have to say? It says, a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for a time of adversity. A friend does what? Loves at all times. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a, a group of people that loved you all the time? And I'm not just talking like for a couple years or season of life, but like that you literally did life together with for decades. And that you, you loved one another through everything. That you're literally, you're doing life deeply together. That you get to know their spouse. And you invest in the life of their kids. You help them as as they're growing up. 
and you laugh with them in the good times and you cry with them in the bad times. You, you share your possessions and your goods with one another. You, you vacation together. You, you worship together. I mean, could, could you imagine having, again, someone like that, that you, you had a group like that, that you didn't just do this for a year or two, but for your whole entire life? How many of you yearn for something like that, that you would have people that are that close to you, that, that man, you could just do life deeply together? That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Well, it's possible. It really is possible. problem is this. The American Sociological Review did a study here a couple years ago. And what they found out is this. The average American now only has two really what they would call close friends. Only two. What that means is when I asked you to real quickly jot down six names, most of you had trouble doing it. In fact, here's the really sad part of it. 25% of all Americans couldn't even list one person that they said was a really true close friend. Now, this has changed. 25 years ago, six was the number. The average person said that they had six really what they would call close friends, people that are open, they're honest, they're transparent, they do life deeply together with these people. But that number has declined to two. And we haven't even noticed, have we? We've just gotten busier and busier and busier and just life keeps going on and we don't realize that, man, I'm shutting people out of my life. Now what's happened? Why, why have we gone from six close friends 25 years ago to now an average of only two? If you're taking notes here this morning, a couple of reasons. The first one would be this. Increased working hours. Increased working hours. You know, in the 1960s, they were saying, because of all the new technology that was coming around, that eventually the average American would only have to work like 20 hours a week, and the rest of the time you would spend on the golf course and hanging out with your friends and doing your hobbies. They, they thought that life was going to get easier. But actually, it's become the opposite, hasn't it? They were working more and more and more hours just to get by, and here's the deal. Now in the typical household, it's not just the husband that's working, it's the wife as well. You need two incomes just to get by. And so we're working more and more hours, and so when we do have some free time, what do we do? We spend it with our spouse, we spend it with our kids, we spend it with our family members. And there's nothing wrong with that, you should be doing that. But what that's done is because there's so little free time, we've shut other people out of our lives. Number two then is this, higher divorce rates. Past 25 years, divorce rates have skyrocketed. And studies show that divorce is hard not just on families, but on friendships as well. You know, in my own personal family, we've experienced this over the past year. One of my uh, cousins, he married a girl, and she was best friends growing up with another girl. Best friends. And so, again, my, my cousin married this one of the girls, but then she did some things and they ended up getting a divorce. And you know what? Her best friend growing up chose the side of my cousin. See, what, what divorce does is 
people start to choose sides. And so this friendship that they had got split apart. Isn't that what divorce does? That this is your money and I get to keep this money and you get the kids on this weekend and I get the kids on these days and, well, you get these friends and I'm going to keep these friends over here. So again, the divorce is, is hard on friendships. Number three then, why are friendships on the decline? Well, because of the rise of social media. Now let me be very, very clear. There's nothing wrong with social media. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I, I think that they've been great inventions, especially for pastors. I mean, it allows me to connect with people in ways that I wasn't able to before. So there's nothing in and of itself that's wrong. But again, it has redefined what we think about friendship. Let me give you an example. Ten years ago, none of you, none of you would have thought of getting on your telephone and calling every single one of your friends and saying, here's what I ate for breakfast this morning. Right? You wouldn't have thought of doing that. But what do you do now with Facebook? You post, I'm eating oatmeal. And just to prove that you're not lying, you get your camera out, you take a picture of it, and you post it as well. Or, you know, we, we get the camera out, and we, and we start, you know, we're doing our selfies, you know, and you girls are doing your tuxies, you know. And you, you're putting, you know, filters on it and everything, and you're posting it up to Instagram. Again, nothing wrong with that, but we've sort of allowed that to start to define what friendship really is. And here's what experts say, that instead of us being concerned with face-to-face intimate friendships, we're now more concerned with our online image and what people think about us. Does that make sense? That we're just trying to, to protect this online persona that we've created. And so we post things, and most of the things that we post are very positive things. It makes us look good, and we're hoping that people are going to hit the like button, that they're going to comment on it, because we're trying to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. And so what we have today now as a result is people that have more fans, they have more followers, they have more likes, they have more comments than ever before, but they're also lonelier than they've ever been before. Because just because you have a friend on Facebook doesn't mean it's really your friend. And so those three things, increased working hours, higher divorce rates, the the rise of social media, have really decreased the amount of friends that we have. And so that's why I wanted to do this series and and talk about this over the next couple weeks. Because for God, you being interdependent on one another is so important. You're not going to really become who God wants you to be unless you have some people that are around you that are going to help you to grow to become more like Jesus. And so what I want to do is next week talk to you about the three types of friends that every single one of you need to have. There's there's three types of friends. We're going to talk about that. Then in the following week, what I want to do is talk to you about how you are just a handful of friends away from changing your whole destiny. And then in the last week, what I want to do is talk to you about how to unfriend some people. Because again, even this morning, as you're taking a look at that list of six, there's some of them you're going, I'm not sure that that's who I want to become. But yet you don't want to be rude about it either and just sort of 
drop them off the face of the earth, you know, and, and not have any contact. So what we'll talk about is how do you set some appropriate boundaries? How do you redefine some of the relationships that you have so that you have now time to add some new people and some new influences that you do want to become like? I guess what I'm really saying is the next couple of weeks are going to be about the types of friends that you need. What I want to do in the remainder of today's time is talk about the type of friend you need to be to other people. Now, we don't have a lot of time, so I'm just going to cover two things. So if you're taking notes here today, the first one would be this. I must learn to be fully present in the moment. Must learn to be fully present in the moment. guess a more practical way to say this would be this. Learn how to do relationships face-to-face, not just thumb-to-thumb. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people, their relationship anymore with people is just texting. Again, nothing wrong with texting in and of itself, but your relationship has to be more than that. There's something about being in the presence of someone else that's powerful. But here's the deal. Even when we're present with people, many times we're not present. You know what I'm saying? We're there, but we're not really there. And to be a true friend to other people, you need to be fully there in that moment with them. We need to develop close relationships where we're, we're just there and we're, we're intimate. Now, when Jesus called his disciples to him, he didn't say, guys, here's a book about me. Now go read it. And now we'll be friends. No, what did Jesus say? He said, come, follow me. In other words, come and do life with me. Let's do life deeply together. Let's eat together. We'll pray with one another. We'll go out and we'll serve in the community together. We'll, we'll go out and, and we'll do work together. We'll laugh together. We'll cry together. We'll talk together. We'll just do life together. And in the midst of doing that, we'll grow closer and closer to one another. But again, that involves being face-to-face, and it involves being fully present wherever you're at. Now, I know we're talking about friendships today, but let me talk to your parents here for a second, because this actually applies to friendships as well. But a study was done recently where they found out that kids are more upset about their parents' use of technology and their obsession with technology than parents are of their kids' obsession with technology. Now, let me be very clear what I'm saying here today. Kids are definitely more obsessed with technology than what you as parents are. They're on Facebook. They're they're on their phones. They're, They're doing it more than you are, but that's not what this is saying. This is saying that your kids are more upset about your obsession with technology than they are, than you are of their obsession with it. What this study is really finding is that kids want your full and undivided attention but they can't get it because of how technology is. Mom, 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 I I need you to come. I need you to help me. Don't bother me, kid. I'm on Pinterest here. You know, and this recipe that I'm posting is going to change the world. Mom, 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 you know, could could you come in and play with it? No, not right now. Somebody just posted something on Facebook and I need to respond to it. Dad, could you come in and do this? No, kid, I got a text right now and it's something from work and I've got to deal with it.
And what the kids are saying is, I don't really have my parents' attention. We're not fully present with one another. Or here's another thing that's very common. You see this all the time. You go out to eat, watch other tables. Watch a family of four or five or six. What are they all sitting there doing? Are they talking to one another? No, they all got their phone out. You know, texting with one another, you know, not with one another around the table, but, you know, with texting with other people or they're surfing the Internet or they're playing a game. So while they're physically present together, they're not actually together. In all other ways, they're separated. We've got to learn to get back to being in the moment. And again, this is how this applies to friendships as well. Because I see this with friends. You know, they're hanging out together, but everybody's got their phone out and they're just, you know, constantly looking down and, and checking it. And we've got to get away from that. Again, there's nothing wrong with your phone. There's nothing wrong with the technology. But when you're with somebody else, when you need to be there, be there. Here's a little game that I know a lot of young adults are doing now because they've started to realize the danger of the cell phone. If you go out to eat with some of your friends, everybody puts your phone in the middle of the table, and the first person that picks it up and checks something has to pay for everybody else's meal. And I know families are starting to adopt this as well. They have the, the cell phone box, or they have you know the, the family time box, or whatever you want to call it, You know this little box that... Look, we're going to sit down as a family, we're going to eat, everybody's cell phone goes in the box. And for this next 20 minutes, this next half hour, nobody's touching a phone, because this is family time. And again, you can apply these same things with your family as you do with your friends. Lisa and I were out on, uh, what was that, Friday night? Yeah, Friday night, uh, with a couple from here at the church, actually, and these young strapping lads here, uh, celebrating their dad's birthday. And uh, I was trying to be very conscious because I knew I was preaching this message, right? <laughs> I'm being very cautious about not pulling out my phone. But a couple times, though, we had questions about things, so it's just so easy to go on Google and look it up. So I kept apologizing. I'm getting my phone out just to get on Google to answer the question. Actually, one of the things was, what is the legal definition of a midget? was one of the questions that we were <laughs> trying to figure out. <laughs> so we were talking about Gary Coleman and Emmanuel, uh, Web- or uh, what was his name, Emmanuel Lewis, that was Webster, and... Yeah, so so I, I had to pull my phone out to, to look that up, but I was apologizing because I didn't want to have it out. I wanted to truly be there in the conversation, especially since we were picking on Mike and how old he's getting to be now. So anyway, but um, just try it. That, that's an easy next step that you can take in your life to truly be there in the moment with other people. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but to encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I love these verses, because when was the last time you got together with your friends, and you put your cell phones away, and you said, you know what, let's just talk about what could we do together to go out and change the world? Well, what could we do to, together to, to go out and make the name of Jesus known? What, where could we go to, to go out and, and just impact somebody's life? How could we serve the people of Harrisburg and let them know that you matter to God and you matter to me as well? 
When was the last time you got together with a group of friends and that was your conversation? That it was all about encouraging one another and spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. Many times we don't. We talk about things like what's the legal definition of a midget, right? Uh, what was it? Four, four, three. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Your useless fact of the day. <laughs> Didn't cost you anything extra either. Yeah. Here is a service to you guys. Anyway, what what if in your times together, and it doesn't have to be all the time, but what if in your times together you were a little bit more intentional about just encouraging one another in their gifts and their talents and the skills and the abilities that they have? That man, you you've got this in you. You can do this. And then you said, it'd be even better if we did it together. We went out and we, we changed things. And then the, the writer of Hebrews, he continues on here, and he says, don't neglect meeting together. And I think that the key word there is that word meeting. He says, don't, don't give up meeting with one another. And I looked this up in the original Greek, and it's not the type of meeting that, that we think of. This actual uh, word that's translated here as meaning is only used twice in Scripture. Only two times. And what it means is a gathering together that's for the sole intention of lifting each other up spiritually. That we're not just getting together, but there's a, a purpose behind our getting together. And the purpose is a spiritual purpose. And see, this is why church attendance is so important. This is why being in a life group is so important. That's what this word is talking about here. That don't give up meaning together, as some people have gotten into the habit of doing. Get together with some people for a, a real spiritual purpose. Help each other in your spiritual journey. But again, you've got to do that face-to-face. Can you use some technology along the way? Sure you can. But there's power in presence. If you don't believe me, think of it this way. How many of you ever gotten like an encouraging email or an encouraging text from someone? You ever gotten something like that? It makes you feel good, doesn't it? Right? But now think about what if you would have gotten that same thing from that same person, but it was face-to-face with them. And you're able to look them in the eye and they told you how proud they were of you. And you could hear the emotion in their voice. And you could see the look on their face. See, that's completely different. It's great to get it through technology, but it's even better when it's face-to-face. And so if you would enjoy things that way, guess what? Other people will enjoy it that way. So you need to be more intentional about being present in the moment, face-to-face with people, and really investing in them and speaking words of truth into their life. And see, when we talk about doing life deeply together, not only is it all the good stuff, but you need people in your life that, man, you, you can look at them and say, I'm saying this out of love, but this habit, this sin that's in your life, it's not pleasing to God. And I'm not saying it in a way that's judging you right now. I'm saying it because I love you and I want what's best for you. And again, that's always done better face to face and in the moment. But you can't get to, to levels of intimacy where you're willing to do things like that unless... You put the phone away, you, you, you really invest in their lives. Number two, then, 
I must be transparent and vulnerable. So learn to be fully present in the moment and learn to be transparent and vulnerable. One of the fastest growing phobias right now is called telephobia. You know what that is? It's the fear of talking on the phone. And again, it's one of the fastest growing phobias right now, the fear of talking on the phone. Now, when I started reading about this, I actually started to chuckle because I have one of my very good friends that I don't know if it's actually a phobia, but she like hates talking on the phone. I won't tell you who it is, but she led worship this morning and her initials are Gail Crawl. But anyway, <laughs> Gail hates talking on the telephone. And, and she mentioned this morning, she just hates talking, period. She loves to sing, but she hates, hates to talk. And... You know, I've always laughed at her through the years about that. And anytime I do have to call her, I always apologize. I'm like, I know you hate to talk on the phone, but I really need to talk to you right now. And so uh, I, I've sort of laughed and chuckled at her through the years about this. But as I'm reading through this phobia, I started to notice that I have some of these tendencies. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand here this morning, but I will admit to doing what I'm about to share with you. They said one of the things that you can uh, see is, that is sort of the start of this phobia is if, you know, because our, our cell phones now, everybody has caller ID on it. And again, I'm being honest. Sometimes I'll see my phone ringing, see who it is, and I'll even sometimes like the person. So it's not like somebody I'm trying to avoid, but I'll see who it is, and I'll intentionally let it go to voicemail, then listen to the voicemail, and then text them back. Now, again, I'm not asking you to, to be honest, but I'll be honest, and, and I, I've done that before. And what they're saying, the reason for that is that when you have a conversation with somebody, you have no control over the direction of the conversation. But with a text, you do. Because you get to choose exactly what words you're going to say, and you can edit those words, or you could delete the whole thing and say, I'll just deal with this a little bit later. But with a conversation, it's like, I don't know where this is going to go. And so, you know, and so it's a lot easier just to handle it a different way. And what they're saying with this phobia as well is that because people are talking less and less and less to people, not just on the phone, but in life in general, there's this awkward thing about the phone of how do I end the conversation? And since we have a fear of how am I going to end the conversation, we choose just not to have the conversation at all. And so as a society, we are talking less and less and less to one another, and we're texting more and more and using email and other things more and more. And again, that makes it a very controlled environment where we're able to protect our image. And we're able to have people see us in the way we want them to see us. But what that leads to is now we're not transparent, we're not open, we're not honest with other people. But God's word, and we'll, we'll look at it here in just a second, says that a part of really growing to be more like Jesus is you've got to get to the place where there's some people in your life that you can share anything with them. Again, we're getting away from that as a society. Here's what James says, James 5.16. James was the brother of Jesus. If you have sinned, you should tell each other what you have done. 
And then you can pray for one another and be healed. Now, I've always been fascinated by this verse because notice James doesn't say confess your sins to God. Although there's other scriptures that say you should confess your sins to God. You need to do that. James says to do what? Confess your sins to each other. Now, what this is talking about here isn't each other as in like everybody. It's talking about basically your life group, the the people that you're doing life deeply together with, that you've grown so close to them that you can share anything, including your sins. And James says, confess your sins to each other. Why? So that you might be healed. See, here's what I believe. Forgiveness comes from God. Healing comes from people. You can confess your sin to God and know that you're forgiven, but isn't it true that oftentimes, even though you've confessed it, you still feel bad about it? And you still feel the weight of that sin on you? Well, God's forgiven you. Healing comes from people. Because as soon as you share that sin with somebody else, it's like a, a load of bricks that's just dropped right off of you. It's that monkey off your back. You know, you feel free now. That it's out in the open. That somebody else knows about it. And oftentimes by confessing your sin and sharing it, they'll say, oh, here, here's a scripture that may help you or here's a word of advice for you. And so that brings healing to you. Sometimes it's just the simple fact that you know that they're now praying for you. That it's out in the open and, and they're praying about this situation and you're like, man, I feel so much better about it. So confess your sins one another so that you might be healed. On your outline, I put it this way. I impress people with my strengths, but I connect with people through my weaknesses. Again, I impress people with my strengths, but I connect with people through my weaknesses. When you're completely open and transparent and vulnerable with other people, you know what that does for them? It says, oh, I can be vulnerable with them now. That Wow, you, you're going through all that? Let me share, you, share with you some of the things that, that I'm going through. But again, that's not how our society is living right now. Our society is living about protecting our image. Making sure people see us in the way that we want them to see us. James saying, no, con- confess your sins to each other. Online, you're trying to impress. But face to face with those that you're closest to, when you confess your weaknesses, that's when you're going to have a true connection with them. Because they see that, oh, you're not some super Christian. You're real, just like I am. You struggle in the ways that I struggle. And so you, you need to start doing that, just sharing with people that, that look, you know what? Here's the temptation that I'm, I'm going through right now. I can't seem to overcome. Here's where my marriage is struggling right now. Here's where financially we're, we're struggling right now. Here's the issues with the, the kids that we're having right now. Just talk and be open. Now, again, don't blab this to everybody. These are people that, that you've grown close to, that you trust them. But confess your sins one to another. So here's your next step that I want you to take this week. I want you to think about that like one thing in your life 
that you've been sort of holding on to that nobody else knows. It's a, a secret. It may be a habit. It may be a, a sin. It may be something you did way, way in the past, but yet you're the only person that knows it. What I want you to do this week is just share that with one trusted person. Take a chance. Take a faith risk. Man, I, I think when you do this, you're going to experience the healing that James talks about. And more than likely, you know, as time goes on, they'll, they'll share something with you. And this can be the, the start of an even closer friendship where everything is right out there in the open. And it'll be helpful to each other. So wrap up this morning. Let me just remind you that, you know, as Americans, we are taught growing up to be independent. You know, become financially independent. Don't work for the man. Start your own business. Become independent. So it's all about independence. That's what America tries to sell you. But that's completely opposite of what God's Word says. God says the goal is not to be independent, but to be interdependent. Where you do need other people. You need friends. You need your life group. You need your church. You need your community in order to truly become who God wants you to be. So I I want you to vow that you'll be here over these next three weeks to learn about what does it truly mean to be interdependent on other people, to truly need others in your life, to be the friend that you're called to be and have the types of friends that God would have for you to have. Here's the deal. As you look at your list that you made today of those six friends, again, some of them may not be who you need to have on that list. Here's the good news. Even if that list isn't where it needs to be today, God will bring in people to your life that can be those friends that you need, be the influence that you need, to be those people that we said that we all yearn for, that we can go decades of our lives together doing life deeply together. See, God places a very, very high value on friendship. We need to do the same as well. So that's why I'm saying this series is going to be so important that you're a part of it. Because you can't be who God wants you to be unless you have other people in your life that are going to help you on the journey. Show me your friends. And I'll show you your future. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come together to worship and to look at your word and just see what it is that you have to say about this topic of friendship. And Lord, uh, I just thank you for the the friends that I have in my life and the influence that they've been and that it's helped me to become a, a better person, a better pastor, a better just citizen of this world. And Lord, I pray that each and every one of us, that we would, if we don't already, in the near future, have developed relationships that are going to last for decades. Long, long long-lasting friendships that will forever change our lives. So Lord, I pray that we would just take a couple practical next steps this week. 
that we would practice being present, to be in the moment with anybody that we come in contact with, that, Lord, we would put the technology away and show them that you matter to me. And this time that we're spending together right now is the most important thing in my life, not some random post that may appear on my phone. And Lord, I pray that we already have some people that we're close to that we would take a faith risk and we would just get open and honest and transparent and vulnerable with them and share a hurt, a habit, a struggle, a hang-up that we have. That, Lord, we would sense the freedom that comes from that. Again, Lord, just help us to take that risk. God, thank you for uh, what you're doing here in our midst. Thank you that Bill was able to get away for a weekend to get rested up and spend time with Megan and Ryan. Lord, thank you for uh, Gail and the rest of the band that were here today to, to lead us in worship. Lord, thank you for all the, the people that come every week to serve in various capacities. Lord, help us as a church just to continue to be the salt and light in this community that you called us to be. And I saw this in Jesus' name. Amen.